So we're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of John this morning. We're in John chapter 19, verses 8 to 16, and the title of the sermon this morning is Delivered Over to be Crucified. Delivered over to be crucified. John chapter 19, we'll start in verse 8, and I'll read all the way to verse 16. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Father, we bow our heads and our hearts before you this morning. We know that your name is victory. We know that you are Christ our king, but we also know that you came to die a gruesome death, that you came to set us free, that you came to fulfill the law, that you came to be our substitute, that you came to be our sacrifice, that you came to die so that we could be forgiven and have new life in your name. And so as we study this passage this morning about how Jesus was delivered over to be crucified, I pray that we would feel all the sadness that we should feel of that hideous crime. And at the same time, I pray that we would, by faith, trust in your ordained means to provide redemption for your elect that from the foundation of the world, you planned every single aspect of this crucifixion. And so may we glory in your sovereignty as well this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, A.W. Pink has stated that the death of Christ may be viewed from five main viewpoints. From the standpoint of God, the cross was a propitiation. Romans 3.25 states that God put Christ forward by propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. God's wrath against sin was satisfied in the righteous sacrifice of Jesus Christ. From the standpoint of the Savior, the cross was a sacrifice, an offering, an act of obedience. Ephesians 5.2 says that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. From the standpoint of the believer, the cross is substitution. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. This means that Jesus died in our place. He bore our debt, and in doing so, he paid for our sins in full. 
From the standpoint of Satan, the cross was a triumph. In that moment, Satan believed that he had defeated Christ and through his death that somehow evil had finally won. Genesis 3.15 does say that Satan would bruise the heel of the woman's offspring. From the standpoint of the world, the cross was the best way to get rid of a nuisance. The Pharisees didn't want everyone to believe in Jesus. They wanted to continue in their legalism, in their pride, and in their control of the Jewish people. And so, the, according to John eleven fifty three, 53, it says they made plans to put Jesus to death. Well, one thing we know for sure, and that is Jesus was to be delivered over to be crucified. And there was no person and there was no power that would ever be able to prevent this because it was ordained by God. In fact, nowhere in scripture is there a more striking and vivid demonstration of God's sovereignty than in Jesus being delivered over and being crucified. Get this, God ordained that Pilate would hand Jesus over. Remember, Pilate was convinced of Jesus's innocence and acknowledged it seven times. He said, I find no fault in him. Scripture also tells us that Pilate tried to release him. Pilate was urged by his own wife to let Jesus go. Pilate even sent Jesus to Herod, hoping that that would get him off the hook. And after Herod sent Jesus back, Pilate tried to free Jesus instead of freeing Barabbas. And in our text today, John 19, 12 says uh, that from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But that was all for naught, for God had determined that Christ would be crucified. It pleased the Lord to crush his son, and he did so for our sin. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so what does man's will amount to when it runs counter with the will of God? Absolutely nothing. Here was Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, determined to release Jesus, and yet he was prevented from doing so. From all eternity, God had decreed that Pilate should sentence Jesus to death. Pilate and the Roman Empire could not stop it. All of earth and hell itself could not thwart the redemptive purpose of the Almighty. And Peter and John preached about this fact. In Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28, they say, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You know what Peter and John are saying there in Acts? They're saying, hey, this was up to God. This was, this was not a work of Herod. It was not a work of Pilate. It wasn't the Roman Empire. It wasn't the Jews. God used each one of those groups of people and individuals to bring together his perfect plan. The main takeaway is this, the cross was no accident. It was not determined by man that Jesus would die on the cross. This was predetermined by God from eternity past. The cross was God's plan and it was fulfilling his purpose. And yet those who brought it about were still guilty for the part they played and for the sin that they willingly and knowingly committed 
And we must learn to accept God's sovereignty, and we must acknowledge man's culpability at the same time. And so this morning, as we look at these four headings about how Jesus was delivered over to be crucified, I want you to remember it was God's sovereign plan, and yet we'll see this morning that Pilate played an important part. Four headings to examine that this morning. Number one is this, why Pilate was afraid. Your first blank, if you're taking notes, says, says that uh, Pilate was afraid that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Look at verse 8 with me. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now, just to catch you up with our contacts here, uh, we're going to wrap up the Roman court this morning. We've evaluated the Jewish court where Jesus faced three trials, one before Annas, the former high priest, and one before Caiaphas, the present high priest, one before the Sanhedrin. We've also been looking at the Roman court where uh, Jesus stood trial before Pilate, and then Pilate sent him to Herod, so that was still under the Roman jurisdiction, if you will. Then Herod sent him back to Pilate. And last week, we saw how this final trial before Pilate uh, started again. Uh, last week, we saw the beginning of, again of this third trial. Pilate, at that point, gave a choice between setting free Jesus or Barabbas. And so uh, Barabbas, as you know, was a robber. He was a convicted felon. He was a notorious prisoner. He was an insurrectionist. And in one text, it says that he was a murderer. And the Jews chose Barabbas, the bandit, over Jesus, the justifier. And when we see that in Scripture, we should say, even though we know God's sovereign, we should say, what a shame. How unbelievable that these Jewish people, God's own people, would choose Barabbas over Jesus. What a disgrace. How humiliating. And yet, we do the same thing every time we choose to sin. Every time you and I choose to sin, it's as if in that moment we're saying, I'll take Barabbas over Jesus. I'll take this sinful behavior because somehow it's more appealing to me in this moment of my temptation. I'll choose Barabbas over Jesus. And so we saw how last week that Jesus was flogged. He was whipped up to within an inch of his life. He was, he was uh, beaten. His back was lacerated. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. And Jesus was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, which says that he had no form or majesty that we should look upon him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And last week, we tried to just kind of answer the question, well, why did it have to be so bad? I mean, I get it that someone needed to die in my place, but why so gruesome? Why so ugly? Why so difficult that they treated Jesus like they did? And I gave you a couple of reasons about why it had to be so bad. Let me summarize them for you. Number one, it had to be that bad to show the hideous nature of sin. You see, if Jesus would have just came and taken a lethal injection and killed over there real simple and clinical-like, I don't think that we as human beings would be able to see the great chasm and divide between a holy God and a sinful man. And so part of what's going on is God just wants us to see the hideousness of our sin. The second thing uh, that I think plays into why it was so bad, it was, it, it was the fulfillment of prophecy. Obviously, we already read about Genesis 3.15 that Satan would bruise Jesus' heel. There's lots of prophecies fulfilled that we're going to look at in the weeks to come from Psalm 22, and we've already been looking at Isaiah 53 that were fulfilled in exactly how Jesus suffered. He didn't just die, but he suffered in a gruesome way, and that's the third example, I think, uh, the third thing I want to say of why it had to be so bad. That is Jesus gives us an example. 
as he's suffering, he gives us an example. So why did it have to be so bad? To show us the hideous nature of sin, to fulfill prophecy, and for us to watch Jesus as he suffered, as he was an example for you and me. In fact, that's exactly what 1 Peter says in chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so Jesus was an incredible example to us so that when we go through our trials and our difficulties, we can always look back to him. Now, after having Jesus flogged, Pilate brought Jesus out and said, I find no guilt in him. Jesus was wearing a crown of thorns. He was wearing a purple robe. And Pilate said, behold the man. The chief priest cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him in verse 7 and said, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself to be the son of God. Now, it was that statement. It was that very statement when the Jews said he claimed to be the son of God that caused Pilate to be even more afraid. Uh, Apparently, Pilate was already afraid to some degree. He was afraid of what the Jews might do as they continued to riot. He was afraid of the pressure that he was getting from his wife. He was afraid of how Rome would deal with him if he didn't handle this pressure cooker situation in just the right way. But now, He is told that Jesus claimed to be the son of God. And it's at that moment that Pilate is very startled. I mean, Pilate had just had Jesus flogged. And if Jesus was a son of one of the Roman gods, would this God, lowercase g, now have vengeance on Pilate? I mean, the Romans did not believe in the God of the Bible. But they were very superstitious, and they had varied beliefs in Greek mythology and in their own Roman gods. And what if one of them might want to get back at Pilate if he had just flogged a son of one of the gods? And so he was very afraid. It says, again, even more afraid. The word afraid there is the word phobio. It's where we get our word fear from. It means to be in an apprehensive state. It means to be frightened or to be terrified. Now, why was Pilate afraid? Because he is afraid of what might happen to him. And I just want you to know that fear is what you do when you are not trusting God. Fear is our natural response when we are not obeying God. Fear does not belong in the heart of the Christ follower who is walking in obedience to God's word. Joshua 1.9 says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so Pilate was in fear because Pilate was in sin. He is definitely spooked and he doesn't want to take his chances. And so he decides to bring Jesus back one more time into his headquarters, also known as the Praetorium, for one final questioning. 
Now, your next blank says, verse 9, Pilate was afraid that Jesus may be from somewhere else. He may be from somewhere else. He brings him back into his headquarters. He entered his headquarters again, verse 9, and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, you got to know when Pilate asked Jesus, where are you from? He doesn't mean geographically. He was already well informed that Jesus was a Galilean. He knew Jesus was a Jew born somewhere in Israel. We know him to be born in Bethlehem and to be raised in Nazareth, but he's not asking so much the question about where are you from in that sense. I think he's questioning here whether or not Jesus was from this planet or whether he was from somewhere else. Was Jesus from the realm of the gods? Humans were created to believe in the supernatural. In Romans chapter 1 tells us that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, but we know that there is a God. We know that there is a creator. And this is why the Greeks invented mythology. And as pagan as the Greeks were, they wanted to believe in the supernatural. They wanted to believe in Greek gods like Zeus and Poseidon and Apollo. They wanted to believe in Greek goddesses uh, like Aphrodite, Hera, and Athena. And we see the same thing today while maybe our current population isn't overly excited about Greek mythology. Our current generation is overly excited about things like Marvel characters, And we think, oh man, they are so cool. If I could just be like Iron Man or Spider-Man or Thor, or if I could just be like Captain Marvel or Wonder Woman or the Black Widow, that would just be so awesome to have those kind of superpowers. It just shows, it appeals to the human heart. There's something in us that wants to believe in something greater than us. And this is what Pilate is getting at in this questioning, he's like, hey, where are you from? He wants Jesus to come out with it. But in this verse, verse 9, it says, but Jesus gave him no answer. Now, why not? I mean, Jesus had been interacting with Pilate, as we saw in the first trial before Pilate. They had been having some dialogue. Why isn't Jesus talking to him now? Well, part of the reason is this is also a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So part of it is Jesus wasn't going to open his mouth to everything that's being asked or said about him. But I think there's also another part here that I want to make sure you're aware of, and I think that that part of it is this. Jesus had already told Pilate that he wasn't from around here. In fact, if you look back at John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said, what? My kingdom is not of this world. And my kingdom, at the end of that verse 36, my kingdom is not from this world. So Jesus had already well answered his question. Hey, I'm not from around here. My kingdom is not about the kingdom of earth. And Jesus' silence here in John 19.9 is a judicial silence, meaning that Pilate had already heard the truth and rejected it. Therefore, he would not receive a further answer from Jesus. The Bible teaches that when men persist in rejecting God, God will persist in rejecting them. Because of his hard heart, Pilate had forfeited the opportunity to have further revelation. Pilate was unwilling to act in accordance with the light that he had. He had sinned away 
his day of opportunity. He would not be given more light when he had already rejected the light that was offered to him. God forbid that this should ever happen to you. God forbid that God would ever somehow say, you know what, you're not following the light I've already shown you. If you remember, there's a place in the Bible where Esau wanted to repent, but he could not. He had passed that point of opportunity. God forbid that that would happen to us. For those of us who've grown up in church, for those of you who've heard the Bible taught your whole life, for those of us who want to go all in with God, for those of us who want the Lord to show us more of his power and more of his love and more of his truth. You need to respond to the light that you have first if you want him to reveal more of himself to you. This is exactly what Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Jesus is saying, hey, you want more of me? You want to understand more of the depths of your salvation and your sanctification and the work of the Spirit? Then love me by keeping my commandments and obeying my commandments. And as you keep my commandments and obey my commandments, I'm going to reveal more and more and more to you. The charismatic wants to experience more and more of God in some external emotional way that's filled with shakes and chills and all kinds of stuff that happens in a lot of those services. If you want more of God this morning, you find it here in the word and you find it by obeying the word. And as you apply the light that you have, God will give you more light. And so apply what you know and expect to see more, hear more, and learn more from God. If you want more of Jesus, if you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life and amazing ways, then you need to show your love for Christ by walking in obedience. And I would say, because as soon as I say that, someone is going to say, why walk in obedience? Well, that's so hard. No, it's a joy to walk in obedience. It's a joy to honor God's word. It's, a, it's not a burden, it's a blessing. And as you walk in obedience and exercise the spiritual disciplines that God has given you and the spiritual fruit that he bears in you as you're abiding in Christ and he's abiding in you, it's a blessing. Don't be afraid this morning to go all in with God. Don't hold back. If you want all of him, you've got to give him all of you. You understand what I'm saying this morning? He wants every part of you. And that's part of why Jesus is not speaking to Pilate here at this moment. He's already told him. And Pilate would not listen. Well, that wraps up why it is that Pilate was afraid. Let's move on to our second heading this morning. Why Pilate has no authority. Your next blank says Pilate was angry that Jesus would not speak to him. So Pilate said to him, verse 10, you will not speak to me. Do you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? At this point, Pilate pops off. You will not speak to me. It's like Pilate saying, do you know who I am? I have authority to release you or to have you killed. Pilate is bragging about his position of power. Pilate is threatening Jesus that if he doesn't talk with him, that he will probably have him crucified. Now think about that for just a moment. Here is a man bragging to Jesus, who is the agent of creation. Here is a a man, a little tiny, scrawny man, Pilate, who thinks he has authority over the king of the universe. That would be like a, a, a little toddler looking up at a seven-foot-tall NBA star and for that toddler to say, I'm about to dunk on you. 
You know, it's like, yeah, right, you know. That's like an ant looking up at an elephant and saying, I got more power than you. I mean, this is a ridiculous thing. J.C. Ryle here says, quote, this high-handed claim to absolute power is one which ungodly great men are fond of making. When you have no power, you just like to claim that you've got all the power. Because that's what Pilate thinks in that moment. It, it was true of Nebuchadnezzar who boasted in Daniel 5.19 that whom he would he killed and whom he would he kept alive. Whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled. And yet at the beginning of Daniel 5.19 where Nebuchadnezzar was saying basically he could do whatever he wants. It says because of the greatness that God gave him. It was God who gave Nebuchadnezzar greatness. It was God who gave this power to Pilate. Pilate thinks he has the power, but he has nothing. When evil men boast of power, they are often slaves to fear. And Pilate was afraid. And when you are afraid, don't lash out at others and don't lash out at God. When you are afraid, don't try to grab control, but relinquish your control and give it to God. And when you are afraid, don't boast about your strength and don't boast of your power and don't boast of your knowledge and don't try to push through on your own. But when you are afraid, kneel before the Lord, your God, your maker. That is a great opportunity for you to get on your face before God and say, God, I'm shaking like a leaf. I'm scared to death, but I know you're mighty. And I know that you're in control. That's an opportunity for us to realize that God and God alone is our rock and he's our refuge and he's our strength and he's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains move into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we will not be afraid. Don't let your fear explode into anger. Let it turn you to be a faithful follower of Christ. And you know, this, this whole COVID-19 quarantine thing and just what's going on out there has obviously made a lot of people angry. I mean, we thought they were angry at COVID-19 until we saw what happened in the news this week in Minneapolis. And now we've seen even further degrees of anger as our cities are in trouble across the country. But as far as the COVID-19 quarantine is concerned, there's been a lot of fingers that are pointed at the government, a lot of fingers that are pointed at each other. Are we going to wear masks? Are we not going to wear masks? Tempers have flared about whether or not churches should even meet have no idea how many conversations have been going on about if we would even meet this morning. And we hear things from, from, from a lot of different angles, and it's all good to share good thoughts and good concerns. But I'm just saying, a few, on a few occasions, I, I believe in a few hearts in, in our church that some people have gotten a little bit upset. And I just want to caution us this morning that, that our goal would not necessarily be to be afraid or to be angry, but to be trusting God and to be worshiping him. And my whole take on this whole thing has never been, when are we going to meet again? I mean, I love meeting together. I'm a pastor. It's what I do. For crying out loud, I would like to meet together with thousands of people every day and preach the word. All right, but my whole thing throughout this whole thing has been like, why don't we just take that zeal and that passion and just worship God with all of our heart, serve God with all of our heart. Not for one moment have you been restrained from worshiping God. Not for one moment have you been restrained from serving God, loving God, loving others. You can do that in so many ways. And my heart for our church this morning is that yes, we're gonna meet 
And yes, we're going to follow the guidelines to the best of our ability. And yes, we can appeal. And we have appealed. We have written letters. And we have talked to people in power. And we've requested uh, the opportunity for us to, to meet sooner than later. But what I really want us to be passionate about is loving God, worshiping God, lifting high the name of Jesus. Because none of us in this room can single-handedly control the situation around us. And so let's explode in worship and in praise and in the exaltation of our great God and our King. And let's trust him with whatever happens. And Jesus here in this verse, he doesn't open his mouth. Pilate gets upset. He's afraid. He's angry. He's popping off. And then we look at verse 11. Your next blank says, Jesus answers about where true authority comes from. Jesus answers about where true authority comes from. Verse 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus is telling Pilate about where true authority comes from. Pilate's authority does not come from his position. Pilate's authority does not come from the fact that he commands thousands of soldiers. His authority does not come from Rome. Where Pilate's authority comes from is that it comes from God. And that's exactly what Romans 13 says. Romans 13 verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by God. Now it doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever. It doesn't matter about, about what you think about what should be done and what shouldn't be done. This verse is really clear saying that all authority belongs to God and God gives to government as he will for his own glory. These governments are instituted by God. And this verse says that God instituted Pilate's authority, just like God has instituted President Trump's authority. God has instituted our governor's authority. God has instituted our mayor's authority. God has instituted the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors authority. God has instituted the health officer's authority. And whether you agree with this authority or not, God has called us to submit to our authority. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as set by him to punish those who do evil and to the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put silence, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So it's my conviction that the best way as a church that we can be a witness to the glory of God is by submitting to those in authority over us. Now, I know as soon as I say that, I can tell by looking at you, you're, some of you are thinking like, well, yeah, well, they took away my constitutional rights. And hey, what about when the government's not acting in accordance with God's word? I, I understand it could be a difficult, delicate argument. All right, I'm just sharing you with you my heart. And I'm sharing with you, don't forget about that principle. And I'm sharing with you until the government tells me that I can't worship God, pray to God, read my Bible, talk about him openly, publicly, privately, then I'm happy to submit to the, to the uh, restrictions that they give and at the same time appeal those restrictions and at the same time show my love for Christ and win them over by being an obedient citizen. You want to have an impact, I believe it's just by us being obedient to the best of our ability with God's help. And with that going on, I would also say there's a little bit of leeway. 
I get it. It's like, should families get together? Should they not? Should we do this? Should we not do that? What, what do you think? It, it's, it's so challenging. So we give a lot of leeway, but we try to run this church to the best of our ability in a way that we believe would honor God. And so we would covet your prayers. We would ask for your patience. We would ask that you would just say, you know what? We know it's a hard, tough decision, but we trust God. We love God. And we want to get busy doing what we can be doing, which is loving God and loving others. And so what we're seeing here at the end of verse 11 is Jesus then kind of changes the conversation a little bit. And then he says, therefore, he who delivered uh, me over to you has the greater sin. Well, who's Jesus talking about there at the end verse 11? Was Jesus referring to Judas? Was he referring to the Pharisees, to the chief priests, to Annas, to Caiaphas, to the Jewish people? Who was it that gave him over to Pilate? I, I think that Caiaphas is the best answer since he was the official high priest who had handed Jesus over to Pilate. Pilate was guilty of his sin, but Jesus put more weight here on the person who handed Jesus over to Pilate. And if that's Caiaphas, I would say Caiaphas should have known better. Caiaphas is the high priest of Israel. He should have known all about the messianic prophecies that Jesus was fulfilling. He should have been aware that Jesus was doing miracle after miracle and fulfilling prophecy after prophecy, and yet he would not acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God. Caiaphas should have known better. Caiaphas was purposefully being hypocritical by claiming to be a follower of God and, and a follower of even the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and yet at the same time, he is delivering the seed of Abraham over to Roman authorities to be killed. And in doing so, he is rejecting the universal blessing of the Abrahamic covenant which is to be salvation for all of those who would believe. Uh, listen, all sin is sin categorically, but Jesus clearly teaches there are different levels of consequence. There's a different level here between Pilate and Caiaphas, the one who turned me over to you has committed the greater sin. Jesus teaches on this a little bit in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 through 48, where he says, and the servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required, and from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. And so what is Jesus saying here about Pilate, and what is he saying in Luke chapter 12? I, I think what he's saying is there are different levels of consequence for the sin that you commit. And so while we don't have a category, uh, a scale, if you will, of those sins, we understand that sin is sin, that's one truth, but different sins have different consequences. And I would just say to us, well, well, why sin at all? I mean, don't put God to the test of how he may or may not discipline you based on whatever sin you're involved in at the moment. Confess it before the Father and you will receive his mercy. And if you've been given much, much is expected of you. And what God expects of you today is our allegiance. What he expects of us today is our loyalty. What he expects of us today is that you would give him your all, all of your heart and all of your desires and all of your fears and all of your worries and all that belongs uh, that you have belongs to him. And that's why uh, we want to, to live for him, right? We don't truly live until you surrender all that you are. I mean, this is what Hudson Taylor called the great exchange. Your life 
for his life. Your power for his power. Your effort for his effort. Your earthly happiness for his heavenly joy. And that's what God's called us to do, is to give it all up for him. Let's move on to our third heading this morning, if we can. Number three, why Pilate sought to release Jesus but could not. Your next blank, verse 12, Pilate is a human pawn. He's a human pawn. We see there in verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So from then on, it says, Pilate was seeking to release Jesus. Pilate had already declared Jesus is innocent many times. Pilate had sent Jesus to Herod. Pilate had offered Jews uh, Barabbas instead. Pilate had Jesus flogged, hoping that would be enough. Pilate had interrogated Jesus again just to make sure. And Pilate is now exploring other measures just to see if there's anything else he can do to release Jesus, this man who had done no wrong. And even though Pilate may have intensified his efforts to release Jesus, he did not succeed. And the truth is, God's sovereign over that. I shared that with you at the beginning. But I also want you to know this. Pilate was too weak to do the right thing. He was too weak to do the right thing, no matter the cost. And when the Jews started to threaten him by by threatening to accuse Pilate, basically, of not being a friend of Caesar, that exposed Pilate's true heart. You see, Pilate was a people pleaser. And people pleasers are really just trying to please themselves. They believe that if they can somehow make everyone else happy, then they'll be happy but it's just not true. Your happiness never comes from pleasing others. It comes from pleasing God. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We we are to work for the Lord, not for men, And not for ourselves, Pilate gave in here to the Jews' wishes. This was an outcry of how the Jews would say that Jesus made himself to be a king and oppose Caesar, and Pilate did nothing about it. And so in his feverish imagination, Pilate saw how he was about to lose his prestige, his position, and his possessions. And all of these things meant more to Pilate than doing the right thing. Don't be controlled by your desire to be praised by men. Don't be given in to your desire to maintain your position in this world. Don't give in to your desire to please other people over pleasing the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Is that your desire this morning? To be pleasing to the Lord? To live your life in such a way that you want to honor your king? Are you willing to bear the shame and the scorn of the world in order to please Christ and to live for him? Let me encourage you this morning, don't compromise Don't let the world talk you out of it. Don't give in. Stand strong. Put on the armor of God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because you're going to be put in situations 
where you are going to have to make a hard decision, and I'm telling you, make the decision that would honor God. And so in verse 13, we read, Pilate is a human judge. He's a human judge, verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabatha. All right, so he's, the, he's a human judge is what we're saying here. He's not the divine judge. He's just a human judge. At this point, Pilate was ready to be done with it all. He is ready to serve his duty as a judge and sit down at the judgment seat, the, the, the moment for which this entire um, history of redemption has been waiting for has now arrived. Pilate had finally made up his mind to deliver Jesus over to be crucified. And Pilate is most likely sitting in his official chair, demonstrating that his work has all been done, that he had now come to his final conclusion. And they were at a place called the Stone Pavement. Uh, the word in Jewish Aramaic or in Hebrew, Gabbatha, uh, the word here uh, for pavement is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. But its Hebrew equivalent occurs just once in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 17. And in that verse, the Jewish king Ahaz had just rearranged the furniture in the temple involved in making sacrifices to Yahweh and and meddling with and changing the, the worship as prescribed by God was a serious act of disobedience. And as Israel was facing threats from Assyria, King Ahaz had given in to the temptation to appease the Gentile Assyrian king by accommodating what his wishes would be even in the temple of God. This was truly an evil thing done, and it says in 2 Kings 16, 17, it was done on the pavement of stone. The same phrase here, which linguistically connects these two events. In Ahaz's case, his act was the conclusive token of his surrender to abject apostasy. So here was the same act of Pilate coming down to the level of the apostate Jews. In Ahaz's case, it was a Jewish ruler dominated by a Gentile idolater. In Pilate's case, it was a Gentile ruler dominated by by Jewish idolaters who had rejected their Messiah. How often powers and influences change. Jews trying to please Gentiles because of fear and idolatry. Gentiles trying to please Jews, again, because of fear and idolatry. But there is one final judgment that will put an end to all this nonsense, and that is the judgment of God. Jesus teaches about this judgment in the sheep and goats judgment of Matthew 25, 32 through 34. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then we read in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Listen, Pilate may be a judge on this day. You may sit one day before an unholy, ungodly judge, and they may judge you on that day. 
And even Pilate in this moment, oddly enough, is carrying out God's ultimate plan that he designed before the beginning of time. But God will judge over the world on that final day. Only God will judge over the entire world. And at the name of Jesus, Philippians tells us that every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I just hope that you're living this day in light of that day. That you're living this day, not necessarily before a human judge, though I've already talked to you about we need to submit to our government, but I'm just saying ultimately you're submitting to God and you're submitting to him because no earthly judge has the, has the power to determine your destiny. And no earthly judge has the, the power to determine your identity. And no human judge can determine your eternity. That's God's job. And God's in control of every single part of your life and of this situation. And that leads us really to our final heading this morning, number four, why Pilate delivered Jesus over to be crucified. Verse 14, your next blank says, Pilate, Pilate's last dig at the Jews. Look at verse 14 with me. Now it was on the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. Well, that Friday was the official day of Passover. There was a preparation for the seven-day feast that would follow called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was about the sixth hour. We believe that to be about noon. And Pilate came out for the last time and he said, behold your king. This was probably an effort of Pilate to mock the Jews one last time. Behold your king. Kind of like, is this the best you can do? Here is Jesus, his body beaten and bloody, wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate is going to please the Jews, but he's going to mock them while he does it. And Pilate said this to annoy them and to taunt the Jews. No doubt he blamed them for putting him in this position in the first place. While Jesus did not revile and argue with the Jews, Pilate did. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with a pure heart, with a pure motive, and with pure words. When Pilate spoke, he spoke out of anger, and out of disgust, and out of hatred. Jesus taught us in Matthew 12, 34, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then we see in verse 15, your next blank, the chief priests commit blasphemy. The chief priests commit blasphemy. Verse 15, they cried out. This would be the Jews. They cried out, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. The Jews are also done with Jesus. They wanted to see him gone for good. Away with him, they shouted. And when Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? They answered and demanded that we have no king but Caesar. You understand what's going on here? The Jews accused Jesus of committing blasphemy by saying that he was the son of God, where in return, it's the chief priest who committed blasphemy by saying, we have no king but Caesar. In this moment, they didn't say they serve their real king, God. 
They say, no, no, we have no king but Caesar. And so they had just committed blasphemy themselves. The first commandment was to have no other gods before me. God was always to be Israel's true king. First Samuel 8, 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Psalm 149 verse 2 says, let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Isaiah 33, 22, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king and he will save us. And yet here in this moment, they are willing to commit the denial of even having any surrender to the king who is God, even though they had rejected Jesus, they're not even submitting to God. They're saying, we have no king but Caesar. Well, how about you this morning? Do you have any other king other than Jesus? Would you abandon him for any other king, the king of comfort or the king of status or position or the king of wealth or the king of fitness or the king of, of, of your home or to be the king that, that just gets your way all the time. Everybody has to bow down to you or you whine and fuss until you get your way. We should say this morning the opposite. We should say we have no king but Jesus. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is my king. He is my sovereign. He is the king of my heart and the king of my life and he reigns forever. And yet these Jews commit blasphemy themselves, thus condemning themselves to death and eternal hell. But Pilate doesn't see Jesus that way. And so we see here in verse 16, your final blank for this morning is that Pilate gives in. He gives in, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. With all of his options exhausted and with all of his ideas have, had now run out, Pilate capitulated. And in Matthew 27, 24 and 25, we read that famous account. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Listen, Pilate tried to wash himself of any responsibility, but he can't. He can't do that. He can't wash his hands in that water and say, somehow I'm innocent. Only the purifying water of the Spirit can actually cleanse us and take away our sin. We are all responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross. It was our sin that led him there. We could easily be like, well, I'm not responsible. I would have never killed him. Yeah, but you sinned. And because you sinned, Jesus had to come and he had to die so that you could be cleansed from your sin. And the way that you're cleansed is not by washing your hands in some bowl of holy water saying, well, I'm not responsible. I take no responsibility. We are all responsible because we are all sinners. And Jesus came to die for sinners. Jesus didn't do what he did for perfect people. And Jesus didn't do what he did for perfect Jewish pharisaical type people, right? He did what he did for broken people. He did what he did for people like you and people like me, people who are a mess, people who struggle with idolatry and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the, and the boastful pride of life. That's what we struggle with. 
And yet, 1 John 1, 7 tells us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Let us not forget this morning that behind the governor of Judea, who delivered the Lord Jesus over to the Gentiles, is the governor of the universe, who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Christ was delivered over to death that we might be delivered from our death. Won't you come to Christ today, this very morning? Won't you confess your sin to him? Maybe you've been one of those kind of people who's been in the church your whole life, and you think you got it all up here, and yet here in your heart, you're just wandering around. You're apathetic in your walk. You're excusing sin. And hopefully this morning, when you look at the brutality of how Jesus Christ bled and was beaten for sinners like you and me, I hope that it grabs your heart this morning. And I hope that you'll confess your sin to him, that you'll turn your life over to Jesus, that you'll repent and you won't be able to say anymore, well, I didn't do that. Well, I would never say that. Somehow you're washing your hands as if somehow your sin is not great. Remember, all sin is sin. The wages of our sin is death. And yet at the same time, Jesus came to show us life and to show us love and to die in our place and to be our substitute and to change you forever. Doesn't matter this morning if you're a young boy or a young girl or middle-aged or an elderly person, Jesus would call you this day, come unto me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Whatever that thing is that you're struggling with today, whatever you're frustrated about, whatever's just been uh, in, in your heart that's just caused you to get up every morning and kind of whine and complain about how difficult it's been for you, just take that out and just say, God, I need all of you. You're my king. You, you've done everything for me. I'm here to serve you. Help me to love you and to worship you and to follow you with all that I am. Repent of your own way. Come to Christ today and he will show you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to just dive in your word, to see this familiar passage of the crucifixion and of, of, uh, of Pilate and some of the famous things that he said. And yet help us to see it too, just in a way that we can relate in a way this morning that just reminds us that Jesus did that for us and that we have been um, exposed to the light of your word, and sometimes uh, we don't apply it like we should. So just help us to learn from that lesson, Lord, that we want to have more light and more of your revelation, God. Forgive us for sometimes just excusing our own sin, our own, our own iniquities as if it's not a big deal. Help us to see the big deal it is to you by sending your son Jesus to die in our place. God, help us to never commit the blasphemy that we saw the Jews commit this morning when they said, we have no king but Caesar. God, I pray that you would always be our king. I pray that we would never reject you, that we would never run from you, that we would never be afraid to come to you and to say, God, I blew it again. I, I'm not worthy to be adopted into your family and that you would show us that it's the blood of Jesus that can and does cleanse us from all sin. God, I pray that this message, this passage would cause families to have incredible, engaging conversations over lunch, even on this day, that you would show each one of us in our heart of hearts what we can learn and how your spirit would apply your truth to our lives so that we might live in an honorable way before our King. 
May we surrender all this day and may we follow you with great joy and incredible energy. And may we go out this week and proclaim Christ over our jobs and over our families and in everything that we do, we proclaim Christ and we want to love you and walk with you in a way that would honor you on this day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.